Check, 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 <laughs> sounding good. All right, should we get started? First thing I wanted to talk to you about today, guys, by the way, welcome back. Third episode of the Blue Toddcast. I don't know if I'm going to do any advertising on this one. I'm thinking about trying something. You want to try something with me? Let's try this. If you like what I'm up to, I'm mostly talking about the videos. Uh, if you like this video series that I'm trying to do and create, I don't like advertising. I just don't like advertising. It feels dirty to me. I worked in it for years. I think that most audiences, if they're turned on enough, and NPR has proved this, not to say that I'd be like NPR, but they are funded completely by their audience. And for this episode, I think what I'm going to try and do is say, throw out my Venmo or PayPal, whatever it is you have. If you feel like giving a couple bucks for watching the episode because you want to see another one, this is where this goes. One episode pays for the next. It's the next trip. It pays for my time in shooting and editing and uh, really fixing my motorcycle at the end of that. And that shit gets expensive. I don't know why I do pick the two things that, you know, photography and motorcycles are not cheap. I mean, they're cheap to some people, but not cheap to me. And um, But I know there's entertainment there and I know you're entertained by it. So let's try it. My PayPal is blue.todd at gmail.com. And if you like this episode, throw me a couple bucks. Okay, that's how I'm help trying to pay for this. The other thing is I'm getting a store going on my website. That's just going to circle right back into it. Like the great ecosystem of the earth. If you buy a, one of my books or prints or any of the clothes off my website, that comes back in and you get an episode. You get how that goes. Anyway, let's try it. Okay? PayPal, if you like it, tell me to fuck off if you don't. My guest today is one of my favorite people in the world. His name is Sean Dugan, and I'm thrilled to introduce you because we have had, we have plenty to talk about. We've talked about a lot of shit. We just got back from DVR, so this episode is a lot about that, and if you saw the video, you know um, we had a hell of a ride. We also are in a very strange time with the election, and we discussed that. These are, these are topics that, you know, people are opinionated about. There are, uh, there are points to listen to, and I think it's important to listen to each other right now more than ever, even if you don't like what someone is saying, hearing them out is a best and most respectful thing that you can do and I do want respect to come back to this country mostly to each other as Americans so let's all hear each other out we talk about the elections we talk about the good old days Sean and I had a period of time in the now that we, we still both live out here in the desert but we spent a number of years in the city living he lived above me and I lived below him in an industrial space and those were I swear to God, the best years of my life. And I feel like we may be the last group of people to get to do that. I mean, who knows now that COVID is in full swing and a lot of those buildings are empty. Maybe they'll let people live there. But when we were in the final hurdles 
of keeping our beloved warehouse, motorcycle clubhouse, uh, because the city was trying to kick us out, it became very obvious that it's going to get harder and harder to do that type of thing. So I was very happy to get a period of my life to do that because I had always wanted to. And Sean living above me was just a bonus because he was hilarious. And Snake and I lived below. And before that, you know, Sean was the first person in that building. There's a history there of what we called the Chung. And Sean was the first guy in there, and he was there for 10 years, uh, almost, I think actually 10 years. And um, and he kind of sired the rest of it in and secured the rest of the building when Snake moved below and a group of guys, you know, there's kind of a, a transition of characters that came in and out of there, but I was one of them that got to do that. And I will always be grateful and look back on that time in my life as one of the best. We talk about Sean's dear friend, Bill, who, you know, if you're in the motorcycle circle, you knew Bill Buckingham who uh, passed away tragically, um, leaving our shop from a memorial of another friend who passed away in a motorcycle accident. It was a very, very tragic story all the way around. And Sean lost his best friend, Snake lost his best friend and kind of mentor in a way, and that shook us all up. We talk a bit about that. We talk about Troy because we went on DVR. There's some loss we discuss talk about the changes in LA that are happening um I mean god who knows what's going to happen in that city I feel lucky not to be stuck there right now um so anybody who's stuck in LA you know you may enjoy this hearing about the good old days and uh I'll tell you one story before we dive into it one afternoon Sean comes running into the shop from upstairs. He came downstairs and he's laughing. He's laughing so hard at something that he can't get a word out. And if you know Sean, you know how unlikely that is because he always can get words out. He's blessed with the voice of voices, this FM voice that's always going. But he was laughing so hard he couldn't speak. And I was just like, this, what is... And then I noticed when I looked at his face, he had shaved off half of his mustache and the other half of his beard. So he had this really strange facial hair pattern happening. And he just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. And because he was laughing so hard, I was dying of laughing. And whenever I have a bad day now, I just think about that moment and I start laughing. And it makes it better. And that's kind of a little story about Sean's character. Um, the half mustache. All right. Let's do this thing, guys, shall we? Oh, yes. And one last thing, but very important. All the music you hear in this episode, and every episode for that matter, is by Rocco DeLuca. Thank you, Rocco. You make this shit magical. All right, here we go. Sean Dugan, ladies and gentlemen. This is your microphone. Hold that. Let me see. Give me a little... Uh, testing. One, two, three. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Can you hear yourself? I can hear myself. Okay, good. So, you know, if you do this, it changes, but just be be consistent. Yeah, no, no. I'm just going to keep it here. Okay, good. So, welcome back. Am I back? From DVR. (laughs) I wanted to do this before it got too long, you know, get spread out there. I guess we did get back a couple days ago. That was a hell of a ride. 
Yeah, no, I I always enjoy DVR. It's it's just one of those things. It kind of goes back uh, a while for me in the sense that it's a bunch of people that have been around for you know 10, 12 years, and it you know it's Troy thinking about Troy and and stuff like that. Uh, friend of mine, Jesse, had put up a picture from. 10 years ago i think it was 10 years ago and it's it's got it's got me and troy and a bunch of people and a good percentage of those people were on dvr so it's always good to see them that was an original photo before i lived there or before i don't know if people understand how far back you go with that spot (laughs) yeah no i've been i've been at that spot i was at that spot since 2009 and it was interesting back in 2009 i got a warehouse i moved my motorcycles in i kind of built it out and then i i got a job and interesting enough the job that i got was uh doing promos for sons of anarchy and at some point we needed some bikers to be in this we did we just needed them to stand in and i got some kids from the neighborhood or who should I say kids from the neighborhood and they 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 showed up and they're like oh you've got all these cool motorcycles and it kind of was like the beginning of things and there was at that same time I think Born Free I don't know what year Born Free 1 was I didn't go to Born Free 1 but I went to Born Free 2 and I and when I went to Born Free 2 I was just like what the hell is going on here? I didn't know that all these other people existed. I'm used to being the only person who gets obscure old machinery. <laughs> Whatever it happens to be, motorcycles, cars, tractors, that's I like my obscure old machinery. Hit and miss engines, I you know. And usually I'm doing that myself, but it was really interesting to in 2009, 2010 to have this scene kind of come together and to meet all these other people who were into old motorcycles or working their way up that Uh, was coming together all over the country too yeah when you think about that it's kind of crazy it it was a time and you know there's always a, a collective consciousness and people don't realize that it's like people come into the world and they live a certain experience and they look at certain things and so where they naturally gravitate to is similar whether you're from from new york florida la if you're a skateboard kid or you're an old punk rocker these things it's just natural to get into motorcycles it was and old motorcycles especially we are a collection of the same influences a lot a lot of us that ended up here is specifically even in the desert it's very particular actually yes it is so going on dvr you know Life changes, though that that time back then when we used to just ride around the city and and I was on my motorcycle constantly. I never I I rarely, if ever, drove my truck. And I would ride my motorcycle and everybody else rode their motorcycle. And there was a certain amount of innocence back then. So when I go on DVR now, it's like going back in time to that 10 years ago before, you know, we've lost a bunch of people in the last 10 years. We have. You know, a, 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 
that affects you. That affects all of us. It affects me. And losing my best friend at one point made me rethink about like, well, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do when it comes to riding motorcycles, collecting motorcycles? How am I going to think about this? And DVR is one of those things that just is about the pure joy of riding motorcycles. Yeah, it's it's heavy, man, riding through there and then picture people were posting things of Troy on that ride just not that long ago. It was just haunting. Yeah. But we've and, done, we've, I mean, Troy, that's one of those things that's just, you just don't understand. It just, one second he's there and one second he's gone. And it wasn't a motorcycle accident. It wasn't, it was something, you know, it, I guess it was his time. And you don't, you, it, it, it seems beyond control. Yeah. Yeah, and Bill's, Bill's was a different circumstance, but man, that was a crazy unraveling of events. Yeah, and that that was kind of, at a certain point, I, I needed to kind of rethink. And I started to rethink the city of Los Angeles. I mean... How did the, you meet Bill originally? Uh, because to me, it was like, you two were the kingpins. Do you remember when we met? Yes, I do remember. And I met you and Bill just uh, the same day, at the same place. I was like... Who are these two two dudes? Like, where are they? What's their story? So, uh, I was living in Europe, and one of my closest friends at the time, this girl Sarah, um, I came back from Europe, and I would, you know, started hanging out with Sarah, and we were, and she's like, "You got to meet these people. You got to meet my friend Bell." And so she introduced me to Bell, and I think I just. You know, I was back from Europe, didn't really have much of much of a place to live. I was actually staying with my dad. And I just kind of like hung out on Bill's couch. They had a place on, uh, I can't even remember where it was. It was on Lexington. It was just this house with a yard. They had old trucks and motorcycles. And, and what we, year was that? This was uh, Christmas time of 1993. Okay. So it would have been right around there, the beginning of 94, right when the Northridge earthquake happened. We were all hanging out, just drinking, young, you know, what was I? I was uh, 24, 25 years old. And we hung out for, they had that place, a Bill and this friend of mine, Cooey, and... Uh, eventually we're like, oh, well, we need to find another place. And we found a house call. We found a house down by Melrose and Vine. And we called the house the Open Bar Ranch because we, we it, it was a three-bedroom craftsman house with a garage in the back and a huge backyard in Hollywood. And we just, we had parties that lasted. We had parties every night. And just we would we would wake up, we would party till three o'clock in the morning, sleep for a couple hours and then go to work on a movie set during the day. And we worked constantly on movie sets and we partied constantly, too. And so I think. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Twenty four year old Sean Dugan come back from Europe. You drove right back in a movie industry because what were you doing in Europe? 
Uh, well, in Europe, I was actually, when I left, I was working like as a motorcycle messenger. Okay. So uh, getting, that was actually, getting into the movie industry was my very first time. Did in, Bill get you in? Uh, Bill kind of got me in. Yeah, actually it was, Sarah got me a job first and then I started working for Bill as a grip and we were working as a grip and then another friend of mine, I started doing art department and it was quickly, but I still did some, some grip work with Bill all the way, anytime he would ask. But uh, Bill was very interest, instrumental in getting me into the film industry. He sired so many bikers into that. <laughs> That's he true. He did. He picked them up like lost children. And <laughs> it was like, I have something for you. Do this work. Here's a career. You know, Snake thought of him as a mentor and, you know, just almost like a father figure in a way. Best friend, like, like what you had. He's generous. Yes. So, but, you know, at the same time, both Bill and I had kids at the same time. We were both old punk rockers. And Did you have a club? <laughs> no, we didn't. Huh? No, there was no club. But we were old punk rockers, and we we were big fans of the same bands, and we just were similar. And it's always interesting because when I'm on a movie set and I'll laugh or something, and people will go, wow, I just... I thought Bill was here because you guys laughed the same. And we spent so much time together over the years that we just kind of had a lot of the same mannerisms. That's really true. Now you say it. Yeah. Actually, that's really true. <laughs> that's funny. Never even thought about that. Oh, yeah. I wish I would have caught some of those parties, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know. They were. Uh, we used to have tons of bands play in the backyard and just. People would just show up at our house at 2 o'clock because they knew we were partying. And uh, our other roommate was... What was rent on Melrose in 93? Three-bedroom house with a garage and a huge backyard. Driveway uh, was $1,200 a month. Oh, my God. So the three of us, we each paid 400 bucks. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was I got to LA at the wrong time. I was born at the wrong time. <laughs> yeah, no, you were there was a point and I mean that was exactly it, it's unfair to the current generation because of what's going on in the sense of at a certain point a few years after that, 2 years after that, I was working in the film business. I wasn't at the top of my game. I was just a worker in this thing. And I went and I said oh, you know what? It's probably a good time to buy a house. So I went and bought a house in Silver Lake as a person working as a swing guy on an art crew, which was not that big of a deal. And and all of my friends who had regular jobs were like, oh yeah, I guess it's time to buy a house. And they all bought houses. And with regular jobs, you cannot do that anymore. Do you think it will ever come back? Do you think they'll ever lower or i just don't even know how the the mechanism is too far advanced yeah uh i think that back then houses were actually purchased to live in and now they're purchased as investments they're and piggy so, banks yeah and so because of the values that happened because i i bought a house in 96 for one hundred and seventy thousand dollars. it's worth 1.4 million dollars now that I don't own it, but it's it's worth that much. And that, to me, people, 
that's just an investment people look at. They don't they are not thinking about whether I'm going to live there. So so people can afford to lose rent on a place or lose different things just because of the value going up and it it, it it's problematic in our society. It's systemic. It's just, no, there's no, and you go back to Los Angeles and realize how many more people are on the street now and how many vacancies there are. And it's just like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And, you know, one of those things is you go, there's those people, the rents are high because the supply isn't there. Well, the supply, there's no reason to build affordable housing. Nobody cares to because you can make great money making expensive housing and the market for expensive housing is still there so so all the the whole world of affordable housing is getting completely neglected and then of course when rents are too high people end up on the streets and you you look at people who are working and living in their cars you know i could go on and on i'm fine with going (laughs) on and on i mean this this isn't all about motorcycles we've talked we just discussed a lot of things on this podcast and uh but la has changed quite a bit i actually at this point i have an apartment in la but i don't even have a motorcycle in la because i won't i won't ride it but you're getting out i'm getting out i'm getting out and if i was a little bit more but i don't i spend such little time there i gotta go to work I, that's all I do in LA. I go to work and I can't ride my motorcycle to work. So it's, I don't even like riding in LA anymore, honestly. It's too dangerous. And people, and now with COVID going on, everybody's just angry. So when you can actually go out on DVR and ride these open roads with barely any cars on it and just kind of fly away when the only thing that you have to look out for is obrono then you're <laughs> <laughs> his bike's never running you don't have to look out for him just to well if it is you know <laughs> oh i'm just kidding nick i saw your bike running um no you're right it was you know what was really fun this year was to take josh yeah along and see him experience for the first time coming from the east coast because, I mean, it is good. Like, we're all on cloud nine. But to see somebody who's so used to densely populated areas and tree mazes to be out in the open desert was really special. Yeah, and it, it is a whole different life to be on the East Coast. And I, I haven't – I've spent some time there. I hear the stories. I see the people. I know that they're different. We've, we're lucky to have such a, such a tight-knit community in southern california and it's really great when somebody comes from the east coast and is like you guys do you guys ride hundreds of miles in a weekend you guys go to all these places and you look at these mountains and it's our recreation yeah and i mean throughout the whole of the west whenever you're on a road sometimes you can see for 50 or 60 miles on and the there's east, no cars. And there's no cars. And on the East Coast, you can never see for 60 miles. Sometimes, rarely, you'll pop up on top of a hill in Georgia and you'll be like, wow, I can see for forever. But When uh, you start on the East Coast, well, if you ride across country, let's say you start on the East Coast, you hit like <clears throat> Kentucky and you after Louisville, like the plains open up and then you, you can see that far in a straight line. 
and there's nothing for like 400 miles. And then you hit the West and you're like, where the fuck am I? This is amazing. You see it all change. It is. And you know, that's uh, when, once you get to the West, you can actually get a salad, which is really nice. (laughs) (laughs) As a person who's ridden across country, uh, a a few times, and I've always gone from East to West. And uh, at a certain point, you're like, "Oh, they have salads. It's it's amazing." It's, Meat and potatoes. It's, a, it's about Colorado when you can get a salad. It, uh, occasionally, you might find a hippie town somewhere in the middle, but not too often. There Mostly, is... it's like fried cheese curd. And <laughs> there is no hummus east of Denver. <laughs> yes, probably not. It's a, it's a hummus but, trap. Uh, it, you know, I do enjoy, I've ridden through the East a couple of times. I rode from Florida up through Georgia into Tennessee and Kentucky and then Missouri. And I've ridden from New York through Pennsylvania. That's beautiful. Uh, what was after? Ohio and then up into Michigan and then across to uh, uh, Wisconsin and then back down through Iowa both those but it it it's great riding through the east because you can see all these old towns and all this kind of cool stuff but once you get into the vastness of the west and i realize i'm i'm a westerner i've i've always my my family's from los angeles and they've always been outdoors people and we're just kind of westerners this whole country's beautiful i it, it really is but man there is nothing like those <laughs> Those vistas and those sunsets, uh, even out east. I do like watching the architecture change. Yeah. When you write, like, it, you feel like you're in some European countryside once you hit, like, you mentioned Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania has, like, the barns and the stone structures. It's really beautiful. But, man, my heart is out here. It could never really go back east. It's, it's hard to ride back. Uh, well, you wait till you ride through Tennessee during tobacco smoking season, oh, where wow. the barns are just smoking. That sounds cool. It's a and you smell the tobacco. It sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's around September, and it's it's pretty insane. Tennessee was great. Tennessee, Kentucky, beautiful places. What you rode with Bill? That I rode with Campbell? Bill. Yeah, and then you get to Missouri, where my grandmother's from, and everything's on wheels. <laughs> All the homes are on wheels. <laughs> well, if they're not, they're next to something that's on wheels. Uh, yeah, no, no. The homes are on wheels and the cars are on blocks. <laughs> <laughs> home sweet home. Well, at least the part of Missouri that my grandmother's from. <laughs> Did, would you, was your mom born in Missouri? Because Bill was actually born in Kansas City, I think. Kansas City, yeah, Missouri. he was born in Missouri. Yeah. But uh, my mom was born in Hollywood. Oh, okay. <laughs> And my dad was born in Burbank, so. Your mom was a school teacher? What did she do? Uh, my mom was a high school teacher. She yeah. taught high school since, uh, oh, she started teaching high school when I was probably eight or nine years old. And she taught over at Catholic high school. She taught at Immaculate Heart in Hollywood. And then she ended up teaching it in Glendale. Brothers and sisters? Two brothers. Two brothers. I have uh, my younger middle brother is a college professor, teaches political science. 
Uh, he's in Tallahassee, Florida. He's uh, working with the community as much as possible, thinking about running for Congress. Is he consider himself a Westerner? I don't. He, I think he would consider himself a Westerner. Because now's an interesting time to consider yourself a Westerner in Florida. Yeah, it it is. When you're a college professor, the availability of jobs sometimes True. they're they're not there, and you you get picked up where you get picked up. He enjoys it. His his son is well, my nephew is really into sports and sports are big in florida and Mm -hmm. he's a really good soccer player at the point where you know there's a chance he could be professional and that develops better for him in florida than where they used to live before in eugene oregon which was much more small town hippie that's a liberal town that's a liberal town so he must have worked he must work in a liberal school then um He's a liberal professor. I don't know if his school is liberal. You guys should team up. <laughs> you could, I don't know, he'd be president, you'd be president, I don't know, vice president. You know, you can talk it out. Yeah. Should campaign together. I, I know, I know. Well, we... we uh, Dugan 2024. We, we at one time thought that we should start a uh, cult, <laughs> and we couldn't figure out which one of us was going to be the charismatic leader and which one of us was going to come up with the doctrines, but we eventually we it just fell by the wayside, and we we had to let those people go. I feel like you've started a cult before, though. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not telling us about it. <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> um, so I remember when we first met. Actually, uh, when I met Bill it was a little bit later at the shop, but Troy brought me in to Craig jackman's tattoo shop and you were there i actually have a picture of this so i had my film camera and i kind of like had it on my lap but you kind of knew i was taking a photo of you i was trying to sneak it in and you were sitting in front of me and you were like looking at me like this and i took the photo have i ever showed you that no oh no, i'll dig I... that up that's gonna be the cover of this podcast oh okay but and then we got to talking and and uh and we went back to the shop and i was just like Dude, I have to live in L.A. after that. Motorcycles. You probably convinced a lot of people from outside of town to move to town, bringing them over. What motorcycle was I riding when you... Your JD. Oh, I was riding my JD? You were on your JD. You all... all actually, Jackman was on his JD, too, oh. as well. Or his VL. Oh, maybe he was on his VL. Dual carb VL. Yeah. Yeah, he was riding that. But he had a vest on. It was at night. <laughs> Like a hey, he wears vest. an orange vest, you know. And I was like, "Well, if you gotta wear a vest and ride in L.A., I could do that. That's fine." Well, I mean, you know, it's probably safe. Yeah, I I think about it. I my my dad used to ride his motorcycle in an orange jumpsuit that he would wear, and so he is that who got you into bikes? No, no. I I think I got my dad into bikes. Oh, okay. My my dad in his uh, college days probably I think he had like a little Honda fifty that he loved, and he's like, yeah, I love riding bikes. <laughs> and at a certain point, I was like, Dad, it, my dad was like, I kind of want to get back into bikes, and and I gave him a a, a BMW R fifty slash five. That's a great gift. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was right before I went to Europe, and I was like, "Here, you take this." 
And then uh, my dad is one of the most unassuming. He's like, I don't need all that extra stuff. I don't need this. And so my dad went out and bought a Honda Rebel 250. Oh, no. And everybody's like, well, what are you going to do with that little bike? And my dad used to ride that bike between San Francisco and L.A. He would ride his Honda 250 down to visit me. And everybody was like, what kind of, you know, what kind of first bike is that? And then they're like, oh, that's that's some ballsy moves there. And and I kept trying. He ride on the freeway? He would ride on the freeway. With a 250? With a little 250. And and I was kind of, I was trying to tell my dad, like, he's like, I don't know. I I don't know why my bike keeps breaking. And I was like, because you can't ride a 250 like that. That's some serious street cred, though. Yeah. I would never even think to do that. Me neither. I actually, Bill at one time had this little Nighthawk 250, and uh, we would ride it. He he took it up to Angeles Crest one time. We were riding. I was probably riding my BMW R100, and he was riding a little Nighthawk 250. And just sometimes it's Smoking better. <laughs> sometimes and and this goes for old Harleys. It's better to ride a slow vehicle as fast as it will fucking go that's true you know so much more fun than riding a very fast vehicle slow yeah and that's kind of the thing and that that with especially with dvr and riding old harley davidson's i can get on my bike and i can ride it super fast as fast as it's mechanically possible and i'm still not riding as fast as I would be on my FXR. Or... You do just fine. You know what I mean? It's like everybody wants to race and do that. I love a third gear ride even. Yeah. You know, it's like it feels good. The bike's like feeling good. Well, that's that's the thing about riding the JD across the country is riding a JD is your, your kind of sweet spot is between 50 and 55. Sometimes you're dropping down to 50. And at a lot – and at a, when you're riding that speed – you kind of can look around and enjoy quite a bit more. And the wind hitting you is not that big of a deal. And you're kind of at the end of the day, you might ride 300 miles. It might take you six hours of just riding, but you still feel good. You feel good. The wind doesn't tear you apart. Yeah, that's true. That's like uh, when I ride my FXR, I don't know how to ride it under 95. <laughs> it's it's I'm like it goes 95. And then Rocket I then I get shit. off and I'm like exhausted because uh all that adrenaline <laughs> all day. You know, I what it did take me it took me like a day to come down from DVR cuz my adrenaline was like really yeah, pumped, yeah. especially after Austin's wreck. Yeah, you saw Austin's oh. wreck. I, I missed it and just was kind of like, and, you know, the first thing I see is Austin walking back and forth. So it's not, it was not as scary. But, uh, you I, know, it's always scary when you have, you, you know, you're going to have wrecks on these old bikes. And I've I've wrecked a bunch. I think Josh has probably wrecked more than I have. He, he, Josh wrecks I think he purposely daily. wrecks. We uh, have him wreck sometimes yeah to get the shot i i and i'm like no i mean josh is so much younger than me he might be uh not by that much no it's a joke he's okay. only five years younger than oh me. okay <laughs> yeah but he he is a hell of a rider and yeah. can really he can ride a bike to its limit and then past it and still be okay 
it, you know, it's interesting. I at a certain point after after Bill Bill died, I stopped writing things to their limits. Yeah. And that was just a decision that I kind of I I made for myself that I, I don't need to be at the limits. I I've, I've crashed my bikes just from going too fast into turns and exceeding the mechanical abilities of the bike. I'm like just right on the edge, scraping the frame, and then the tires come off and I've lost it. I did I've done that on my on my 38 knucklehead. I've done that on my 68 shovelhead. It's I just... love riding behind you at night because you're always throwing sparks. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I you know I've I've kind of decided to kind of just bring it back a little bit because it's not gaining me anything. And I've got more to live for. Man, that that shook everyone, Bill's accident. I remember I was riding by myself from Seattle back to Los Angeles. And Snake called me in this one little pocket of cell phone service that I hadn't had in like, you know, a day. And my phone rings. I'm like, oh, shit. And he's, you know, he's fucking crying. And he tells me that Bill passed away last night riding home from the shop. I was so fucking spooked after that. I was just like, yeah, that didn't, first of all, it didn't even sink in that that had happened. I was like, that, that cannot, that, that's not real. Yeah. Didn't feel real. Well, it, it put us all in check though. Yeah. Put everything in check and you know, it's about time. I, I don't, I'm not going to recover from the little crashes as easily as 34-year-old Austin will. <laughs> you know, when he locked up, we were riding side by side. And um, so what happened to Austin was his jacket came off of his sissy bar, wrapped in his chain, and then wrapped in his transmission and locked up his wheel. And that had happened to me just a couple months before on Pioneer Town Road. So when he was riding beside me, he goes, I, I heard the same clunk. It was like, kr, kr, kr. and I, I looked at him and he's like looking, he didn't know what happened. I was like, I know exactly what happened. And I, I just kept going because I knew that's the safe spot. But when I looked back, he swung to the left side really far and I thought he had it. I was like, oh my God, he's coming out of this. Okay. And then it popped back up on him and it flung him like high sided him off and I saw him slide out, tumble, and came up on his feet, but his bike was still sliding. And uh, young Brian, who is, is his first trip on a chopper, suicide shift, went straight into the ditch on this sketchy-ass bike, and he rode it out. I saw the whole thing, and I was like, oh my god, this kid just got his stars, man, like... Yeah, Good I job. meant to ride Brian's bike. I had the sneaking suspicion. It's that so his, sketchy. I, I I think his clutch is not because he was so having such a hard time with the clutch. Yeah, and it's and that just means his clutch isn't set up properly. And, well, his chain is is really close to the actual pivot on the pedal, you know. So he needs to lower it a little bit. So there's some actual. Oh, because oh, it's too quick. It it's actuates. all or nothing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah he needs a, bit, a smaller lever. But once he does that, he's going to be like, oh, this shit's easy. Yeah, I was like, I was like, why are you having such a... Because he's just like feathering it and feathering it and then jerking it into gear. I was like, no, something's wrong there. <laughs> but between all of us, between all of us who br brought tools and came prepared, we were able to get that bike back together 
yeah, with Austin's bike, we actually had to uh, completely take the rear wheel, slide that forward, pull the whole, cut. We we cut the to, belt. We had to cut the belt. We had a spare one, and then we had to pop the clutch hub off without. With, I think what were we using? Some kind of tire we, iron or we, something? To, no, we uh, and a hammer. We had the knucklehead hammer. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Jason and Nash. And uh, we had, I had all the pullers and, and um, sockets that we needed. And Eric actually had the ratchet. Oh, yeah, yeah. He had the big, long ratchet. And which we, I was going to make fun of Eric for bringing. And then I got shut down. I couldn't even make fun of him for bringing it because we actually used it. And we used it in, like, multiple different capacities because it was also the lever that also popped off the clutch hub so i snake makes fun of me for bringing a lot of shit sometimes but it's just i'm still gonna make fun of you guys for bringing a lot of shit that's right i got my well turns out our triple a cards don't work so well anymore so what did they what did they want for it for to the toe they they were going to charge like three it was like 350 dollars Oh, yo, we were out in the middle of nowhere. So what they were going to do was charge for the drive out to find us, then the drive to where we're going, and then the drive back. And so it was going to be insane. And I don't think – I think if you're in the city and you need to get towed back back home, that makes sense. But getting towed out in the middle of nowhere doesn't help anybody. Why have AAA at that point? Yeah, well, well it still comes God in handy. We but. had everything we needed. That that was a close call. But Austin rode home. Yeah, he rode home. And, you know, actually, the, I think that in the time it took us to fix his bike and get that jacket out of there, I mean, that jacket was impacted. Uh, we had to take the, uh, the uh, transmission sprocket off, and everything was just out of control. And by the time we had spent like the two, three hours that it took to get all that done, Austin had kind of come to his senses and was a little less amped up. And he got on his bike. He was like, my left hand hurts too much to shift with. So I got to reach under my leg with my right hand in between throttling it and switch gears. But, you know, the ride back from Death Valley up here to Rimrock is only... It's it's fourth gear almost the whole time, so yeah. not a lot of shifting going on. He did great, and he went in, got an X-ray. He's fine. Austin's kind of turning into like the co-host of this show because he's been on every ride with me <laughs> so far. He's really he's got he's got out a lot this summer. Well, it's good. He's he's his his child is growing up, and now he is free a little bit. He took a little break. Yes, and now he's back. You know a thing or two about that. About kids? Yeah. Oh, well, you know, of course I do. Papa Dugan. <laughs> Are we going to see another one? We will probably see another one within the next year or so. <laughs> Holy smoke. What's that reversal like? Oh, I mean, the reversal is just that. It's, you know, once What you hurt re- worse, the vasectomy what? or the reversal? The vasectomy doesn't hurt hardly at all. But the re- reversal hurts, but... It's a little bit different. It's a little bit more like you thought about it. You've made your decision and you're doing it. It doesn't it's not it's not like that kind of pain where you're going like, uh, what am I gonna do? I'm dying here. You know. I'm in pain right now, just thinking. Yeah, no, it's like a dull ache and then you take some pain pills and 
you know, that kind of sucks, but I hate pain pills. But you kind of, you, you know, that was the thing about if the your physician. balls hurt bad enough. Yeah, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't like pain pills. And then I got to take them. And then I don't like it. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe the pain pills are worse than the pain. Do you and remember, you, do you remember snakes vasectomy? Yeah, that he didn't take care of. Did you ever, did he show you his balls? <laughs> no. He oh didn't. my God. I don't, there's nothing in here to give like an accurate size to. No, no, we don't need, we don't need, I don't even. <laughs> I think I, he tried to pull his motor after he's like, I got some time off, yeah. I'll work on my bike. Poor guy. Yeah, you shouldn't do that. But, you know, it, it, it was, it was the thing that I decided to do. So I did the reversal and we'll probably see we'll another. See. I've got, you know, I've got my son's 23 and my daughter's 21. That's perfect. They can be great babysitters. Yes, exactly. If they, if I can get them to hang around. That's but. smart. <laughs> Kais will be around. He's got a Porsche to build. Yes, he does. He does. He got a free Porsche the other day. So He's kind of taking in your steps a little bit, I think, getting the bug somewhat. Well, I don't think he's as mechanical as me in the sense, but then he grew up around, so he doesn't, he's not intimidated by mechanics. He's like, oh, I'll just, you know. He's like, if something's broken, you just fix it. He doesn't, and he does his research, and he he gets engines running. He doesn't have a problem doing that. It's not his primary focus. He's a little bit more diversified than I am, but hmm. uh, but he will take that Porsche and get it going. You did a good job with those two. Yeah, I'm, I I realize that every day. Every day that the right wing propaganda machine talks about Hunter Biden <laughs> and I go, hey, well, at least if the right wing propaganda machine got a hold of me, my kids would wouldn't fall into any weird zone. There, <laughs> you know. Dugan 2024. <laughs> Dugan 2024. They'll be your campaign Fight leaders. The right wing propaganda machine. <laughs> it's getting out of control out there. But you seem to have like a pretty good balance at the same time i know you're a liberal-minded person and come from a liberal family but i i still think you consider those on on the other side i do i mean i'm actually you know i would love it if we could actually have a fiscally conservative pro-business party with a socially liberal agenda the thing is is i, I look at things i right now without both sides talking to each other there's no there's no fiscal conservatives reigning in the Democrats. And then, you know, it doesn't go either way. We're supposed to work together to actually achieve better goals. We've lost that. You know, it's just like the Democrats come up with a progressive idea. And the Republicans are supposed to say, wow, that costs too much. Can you par it, pair it back? And then you figure it out and then you bring it down and you hone it down with both parties participating so that you have good ideas that actually propel America forward. When you're fighting the other side, all you're doing is holding America back. And this right now, all these people, one of the things that's, that's wrong with America right now is social media. And mm. people are in their microcosms of their world. They're looking at only their own information. They're not looking at the other side they're not reading about why people feel a certain way they just read about from their own perspective and that's terrible that's both sides are doing that they're 
they're they're dividing themselves and they're actually thinking the other side is evil when in all actuality what divides americans is barely anything we are hardly we're never going to be a socialist country and these people are like oh my god we're gonna go socialism what do you think we're electing a fucking king are you stupid you're a fucking moron this is how it works when you elect a president they are answerable to Congress. When Congress has a majority on the Democratic side, they still have to be answerable to the minority. The minority is never neglected in this thing. We are never going into a world of extremes because that's not how our system was set up. And if you think that we're going to go be socialist, you have no idea how the Constitution works. And I think you're probably pretty stupid. I think... We are entertained by the outrage, too. It's getting to be a problem. We're getting carried away. Well, the thing is, is what happens with social media is what gets people to pay attention is outrageous stuff. And when people are paying attention, they get ads to you. And so they need you to constantly be paying attention so they can constantly be feeding you ads. You don't have to buy, but you just have to look. And as the more time you spend reading your articles about outrage, about who did what and this and that and so-and-so's this and so-and-so's that and it's going to be socialist and and these white power people are doing this, you know, either side, it works either way. Whatever you're outraged about, you're just making somebody else money. And we've just drawn this line in the sand that says these absolutes are killing us. It's like you're this. If you're if you're not this, you're this, and and that's that. And we hate you. I, you're, I, you're hurting us. You know. And, and I don't actually think when it, if you actually sat down and listed out the values of a liberal American and a conservative American, and they went, this is important, and they would. I I guarantee you they would agree. On almost everything. Let me, what they let me disagree right. about okay. is how to get there. Okay. The goals are always the same. The goals are about America, but it's always a disagreement on how to get there. That That's fine. We have different ways of thinking. We need to include. This is a country of everyone. This is a country of the left, and it's a country of the right. We are not electing a king. We need to live together. And unless we figure it out fairly soon, we're going to be on the brink of civil war because people are falling down into their little holes and they don't want to get out. They like it down there. I think getting together now, the thing that's tripping us up are some of these single issues. Well, the single issues are what that's how governments that's how parties build coalitions is they've picked their single issues it's you know the republicans have always were originally the party of business and over the time in thinking about their party of business they started to weaken in the early early 20th century so what they needed to do was to bring in more people into the fold so you start picking religious issues Mm -hmm. you start bringing you know that was a reagan thing yeah reagan picked religion wasn't a part of republicanism before but they brought they brought these people in by picking on the abortion issue everything 
Yeah. They pick single issues. We're going to be anti-abortion, and then we're going to sell you a bill of goods that doesn't, you know, both parties do this. It's like, yeah. not, you know, yeah. what they do is they bring you in on the issues that matter to you, and then they sell you. Like, I, I, I remember in the 80s, my cousin trying to explain because she come my cousin was very religious and my my uncle and aunt were very republican very anti-abortion and they bought and they decided in california in california Mm -hmm. and decided to vote that way because of the abortion issues right and what they did is they bought trickle down economics they're like oh yeah no see the way it works is trickle down and they they if they actually thought about it Hook, they, line, and sinker. They, they, they would go, oh, trickle down maybe doesn't work so well, but they should just say, in, instead of buying this load of crap that you, you're given, why don't you just say, well, I'm going to just vote on this one issue. It would be great if we could break these parties apart and actually figure out a party. I think that most of most Americans are fiscally conservative and socially liberal. They don't, they don't need, you know... There's going to be those people who aren't. There's a lot who aren't, but you know they can they can have their own party. I wouldn't doubt if Trump split the Republican Party. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Too. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, the it's the happening. after the aftermath of this is going to you know all you have to do is look at Mussolini. <laughs> look what happened to him. It was his own followers who strung him up and killed him. They That's executed true. him. That's so true. and he was very popular up until he wasn't. And uh, those are those. That's what happens, you know, when you build a cult of personalities. And that that's been historic through. That's demagogues throughout history have been strung up and killed at the end. It's just what happens. Make your choices. <laughs> and, and Dugan twenty twenty four. We'll use this slogan from DVR. In fact, did you see this? Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, always tripping. Derek White had those printed up on austin's idea i guess <laughs> but instead of saying tripping he says tripping tripping because <laughs> i think he... i'm i'm always grammatically correct and i'm gonna go so you're with gonna that. go with tripping i'm Dugan, gonna go with 2024 tripping. always tripping <laughs> always tripping <laughs> oh my god dude this is what else have we what else can we talk about i think we've covered it i um i think you've avoided telling us why you went to europe though Oh, yes. Do you need to know? <laughs> so uh, I can start in in the beginning here with uh, it. When I was 18 years old, I had a girl. I was hanging around Melrose, punk rock kid around Melrose. And, and uh, my girlfriend at the time said, hey, this photographer wants to shoot some pictures of you. And I was like, sure. Sounds great. You know, and and it was this guy, Albert Sanchez and uh so i did some pictures and then he's like oh maybe my friend does and i started doing some more and then i ended up with a modeling agency and was doing that in la and then i got the opportunity to go to europe and i was in europe as a model and you know it was kind of i was a novelty because this would have been like 1988 89 i i had my 71 Glide, my shovel head over in europe no i had that in la oh, oh, so okay. i was like the biker guy in la i had tattoos i was you know the young biker kid and uh, and that worked in europe for a little bit but it never really made me big money mm-hmm. but 
you know, I had I had a good time. I'll bet. And then I did that for a couple of years, and then I just I couldn't stick with it. And then I started uh, started going to school and started you know got a job in a video store in in Paris. <laughs> you know, I worked in a video store. I don't know. Yeah. You speak French now though because of that. I it's been twenty years, but I still do speak French. I have an easier time talking to people in France than I do in England because in England they mumble. Mm. And in France, they go, oh, wow, it's an American who speaks French. So they speak loudly and clearly to me. <laughs> you can probably answer one of the most important questions of the night then. Does Kate Moss snore? <laughs> oh, you that story. I have no, <laughs> no, no idea. No, I'm going to stop you. Yep, we'll just leave it for the uh, to imagine. <laughs> she was on the couch. <laughs> she was on the couch. I was in the bedroom. That makes me like her even more. Because to sleep on Dugan's couch, <laughs> got to be a badass bitch. That was a long time ago. So, Well, thanks for coming by, man. That was a hell of a good time. All right. No, yeah. this was good. Hopefully you got what you needed. Oh, I got everything I needed. I don't, you know, I'm very quiet and don't have much to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be great, and uh, I'm ready to ride again, so keep your bike running. Uh, it is. I always have one running. Get the 38 running. Yeah, that I need to get running. I'm going to get the 51 running first. So. Oh, yeah, you got to put it on the list. Yeah. All right, Sean. All right. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, you bet, man. Bye. Bye. How about that, guys? Did you enjoy that? I fucking love that guy. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean Dugan. So, that concludes episode three. And as I said in the beginning, I'm just trying this thing. If you guys are interested in sponsoring the show, hit up uh, my PayPal for a couple bucks blue.todd at gmail.com or go to my store and get anything off the store it is the holiday season and if you are got a challenging person to get a present for I recommend my book Too Far Gone it, it whether you're into bikes or not everybody can appreciate travel and um, just a story of the open road and that two lane blacktop and that's on there so I, I guarantee you won't regret it have a look, see what you think, enjoy the holidays, survive the family, respect each other, have the discussions you usually avoid, but have them respectfully. You know, I think it's and just parting little bit of philosophy here. I think it's almost easier to have the conversation and keep it, if you can keep it respectful, then to dance around the conversation for two or three days. Because that shit is exhausting. So, you know, what the hell? It's a crazy year. Have a crazy conversation with your family and a crazy good time with them. And hope for the best. Because 2021 is right around the corner. Let's all see what happens. Okay? Love you guys. Have a great holiday. We'll be back soon, hopefully, with another episode. I don't know if it'll be time for another video, but definitely another episode. Love y'all. So long.